0: Hey everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode twenty-four of Chris's On Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You find this program at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher. Is is it even iTunes anymore? Or is it Apple Podcasts? I suppose it really doesn't matter. If you're listening, you found us, so you knew where to find us. Today we're going to go back to the spring of 2010. Uh, this is kind of a follow-up to our uh, Brightest Day discussion uh, of about a month or so back. Uh, these are the books that brought me back to the DC side of the table after a bout of unemployment Um, this book, uh, if the, you know, title isn't, uh, <laughs> is enough of a giveaway We're gonna be looking at Justice League Generation Lost, number one Uh, that was part of the Brightest Day, uh, line of books But, uh, for the first portion of the show, we're actually gonna be discussing a book that came out from Marvel Because, uh, the first half, uh, of 2010 was, a. Uh, Kind of defined by two different team books uh, for me uh, That would be the JLI, uh, as we're going to be reading in a bit And also, Strikeforce Tori. Now, uh, if you don't know what Strikeforce Moritory is And uh, I don't know that I'd blame you if you didn't uh, They are moderately obscure But they were a book put out by Marvel in, uh, I think, 1986-ish And uh, the quick and dirty of it, uh, Reggie and I have done an episode on Strikeforce Moratory that I will link to in the show notes, but uh, the quick and dirty is, it's the future, there are aliens invading the Earth, and as a last recourse, uh, humans are being injected with a... Like an inoculation called the Moritory Process or Complex or something like that What it is, is it gives a random superpower It might be a useful superpower, it might be a useless superpower However, as soon as you take the inoculation, within a year you will die So you might die in battle or you might just succumb to the Moritory Process it's a pretty riveting story, and I'm pretty sure it's available on the Marvel app right now. So uh, if you've got that, uh, I, I would highly recommend checking this out. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, now, morituri, the uh, the phrase or the the word, it's usually attributed to uh, gladiators stood before Caesar, though that has been debated. Um, Reggie and I do go into uh, the full history, or as much of the history as we could find on the term morituri. Uh, back in episode 57 of the Cosmic Treadmill It's uh, basically We who are about to die And then uh, it's usually s- uh, Moritori te salutimus Which is uh, we who are about to die salute you uh, So the gist of the story is that uh, None of the cast members are safe You know, nobody who's on the team Is safe Everyone is going to die Because they have taken this moritory process And it's, uh, it's like a book That I would uh, almost compare to some mangas, you know, where they are finite stories, so really nobody's safe, you know, the the stars of a manga could die, you know, because the story's going to end. It's not going it's not meant to go on forever serially like a uh, like a western comic generally does. Now this book fell into my hands uh, at probably the perfect time because uh I was able to draw a lot of parallels between my life at the time and As weird as it may sound, these folks who have taken the moritory complex inoculation. Um, As we've talked about in the past, I was out of work for an extended period of time in uh, 2008-2009. And I started finally finding uh, temp work, contract work. And... I first found a job as a transitional manager for a large pharmaceutical company who was moving they were moving their uh, they were moving their fulfillment center from Arizona to a different state so they needed a transitional management team to come in and to basically help facilitate the moves for the permanent employees into different departments that were remaining in the Arizona you know market uh, while hiring temporary uh, workforce to fill their seats until you know until it was time for a clean break, so there were three uh, full-time managers and they hired four transitional managers uh, with the understanding that the three permanent managers would be you know filtered throughout the uh, other departments uh, to find new places to you know make a living. So we were brought in. With the understanding that uh, this was not going to be a forever job, you know A lot of times when you're in a temp environment um, You kind of get that carrot dangled on a on a string where it's like Well, maybe we could find something for you But a lot of that is lip service, I've found uh, Unless maybe I'm just not a very good employee um, I, I, I got that a lot during my temp days uh, Where it's you have that promise of... Uh, you know, oh, maybe when this project wraps up, we will be able to find a permanent spot for you, and uh, you know, that's the temp to hire sort of a situation. I and I've actually been, I've actually gotten that uh, my the the job that I lost with the recycler in two thousand eight that actually started as a temp to hire, and uh, but that was with the understanding that it was going to be permanent f- from the get go. Uh, the The temp portion of that was more of a probation or a I'm not sure what the word would be. It wasn't necessarily a probation. It was just a uh, you know tryout, and uh, the understanding was that there was a permanent job there for me, uh, so long as you know it was a good fit. But this was my first job where I knew going into it that this was not going to be forever. This was uh, I think I was promised six weeks, and uh, but with the potential of uh, nine months, I think it was now. Out of the uh, transitional team, I think I was the only one who had uh, who had done like full scale hiring before. So uh, I was kind of put on lead for bringing in the transitional workforce uh, and getting them trained and then helping get the permanent employees uh, divvied out to other departments where they would be you know best fit. So I you know, I hit the ground running. Um, it'd been a while since I'd worked, and uh, I was hungry, and I was uh, I was burned out from not working. So actually, having a purpose was uh, was great. And so I, like I said, I hit the ground running. I got the workforce, the temp workforce, in really, really quick. And uh, little did I know that I was actually working myself out of a job. Um, I got everybody in, and this was around. Uh, New Year's, which is a uh, really big deal in uh, in pharmaceuticals and uh, healthcare uh, out here or in the United States, or perhaps everywhere. I'm not sure. I'm not a worldly guy. You guys know that. But uh, we had to have a as complete a workforce in place as possible for what uh, they call 1-1, which January 1st. That's when. Benefits change All sorts of stuff goes down in, in insurance and pharmaceuticals at that time So I had everybody in place And uh Had a pretty good team And was helping get permanent Employees uh divvied out To uh their new Permanent homes But the uh The problem we ran into is that Two out of the three permanent managers Decided to go down with the ship So uh we suddenly had an overabundance of managers We were a very top-heavy department at this point Because it was supposed to only be the four of us Doing the job of the three permanent uh, managers Who, you know, were already experienced and seasoned And knew what they were doing Whereas we were just brought in for our uh, our managerial strengths And not so much material knowledge um, So all of a sudden we had six managers So... Uh, Something had to give <laughs> And uh, the the job It actually started to wind down Quickly uh, Even for the frontline employees The ones that I had just brought in like Weeks before We suddenly didn't have enough work To support the load Because uh, with everything in place They started diverting uh, all, of the, uh, all of the incoming To this new facility uh, In a different state So we were all of a sudden A very top-heavy and a very idle department So uh, I would have to start Letting some of the folks that I just hired go And uh, I promise this will get back to the moratory <laughs> process um, I, I found out there And this is just a, a tangent here I found out that I had a tell uh, This is uh, probably reason I don't play polka Anytime I would go over with a with where I had to speak to someone about letting them go, it always seemed as though the, uh, the the workers knew that that was coming, and I couldn't figure out why. It's like I would come over just to say hello, and they seemed to know I was only there to say hello. But then there were times where I was coming to actually discuss a uh, a separation or a riff, or a reduction in force, and they knew. They seemed to know. Which was which, just by how I came over And, uh, one of them would, uh, start, uh They would start, like, beatboxing uh, Another One Bites the Dust from Queen When I'd come over to let somebody go And I, I didn't know how they knew I, I'm, I figured it must have just been written all over my face So I actually asked, uh I asked her how she knew That I was coming over to let someone go And she goes, uh and she goes, well, every time you come over just to shoot the breeze, you're holding your cup of coffee. Anytime you're coming over to let someone go, you don't have your cup of coffee. And I had no idea that this was a tell that I had. And uh, and and I, when she told me that, I almost wish I didn't know because it's like, well, now do I, do I feed into expectations or do I try to subvert expectations? Do I come over the next time I have to let somebody go, do I have my coffee? It was just a... Very uh, strange, but uh, that's just an aside Um, But like I said, I I had worked I had basically worked myself out of a job And we were now very top-heavy The two permanent managers who did remain Who were supposed to leave Decided not to And so, one day I was pulled into the office and was told Hey, (laughs) you've outlived your usefulness You knew this was temp going in We wish you nothing but the best You know, all that good stuff But, uh I was given uh, two days' notice to, you know, it's time to go. And uh, luckily, I had already secured another position, um, another temporary position that was going to be starting in a couple weeks, and I had mentioned it to somebody. So I'm hoping that uh, the person in charge, the director of the department, just overheard that I had another uh, Wolfa and figured that I'd be the least hurt by being let go because I had something waiting for me. But for all I know, it was just that, uh, you know, I I outlived my usefulness or they just didn't like having me around. I mean, that's possible. That's always possible when we're talking about me. Now, part of me wanted to ask if I could work another week so I'd, you know, have a little bit less idle time between the two assignments. But, uh, you know, I I came in the next day and uh, I was already factored out of plans at that point. I was they were basically gifting me days just so I, you know, would get a full paycheck, and while that's really cool, and it's something that I've done for people, when you're actually, you know, the dead man walking, or the dead man sitting doing nothing, it's really kind of, uh, I don't know, it just, it feels like you're on death row, and, uh, (laughs) and it's just, you're just taking up space, and people feel bad for you, and I just didn't want that, so, uh. Uh, With one day left, I I told them, I'm like, hey, let's just call it. Don't worry about paying me for tomorrow. I'll just just leave today. Um, I I just didn't want another day of people feeling bad for me, especially since I did have another job waiting for me, and it was another job that was going to pay me more anyway. So I was kind of up in the air about which job I was going to go with, if I was going to stay with this temp gig, or if I was going to go to this other better-paying temp gig that had... That was projected to run a little bit longer, you know. I this is, you know, there's something to be said about loyalty, but at this point, I had been out of work for well over a year, and I had to worry about, you know, keeping the lights on, and uh, I had to worry about uh, rent and uh, fi- finally paying off my car because uh, th- that's one thing. This the first day where I was working for this pharmaceutical company, I got a call from the bank about my car. And I told them, you know, I just started a job and I'm gonna ha- I'll am gonna have a check out to you like in two weeks when I get my first paycheck. And they uh, were all too happy to let me know that at this point in my loan, my car's value was higher than what I owed. So they would graciously take the car off my hands. And uh, where if you're ever behind on your car payments and you owe far more than the car is worth, and I don't want to say this is a hard and fast rule... They're more willing to work with you. Uh, that's what I found anyway. They were they're willing to move the payments you miss to the end of your term because they don't want a car that you know that's upside down. you know that that doesn't do them any good. You know they're getting something of lower value than they would have if they were patient with you. But at this point in my loan, I only had like six months left on the car uh, for the payments, and they would have been more than happy to Pick it up because I owed far less than what the vehicle was actually worth. So that's how I started my very first day at this pharmaceutical company. It was like, wow, I gotta, you know, I gotta start making payments here because they will take the car now. But, uh, so as I was saying, you know, there is a thing about loyalty. I'm generally loyal to a fault, but in this situation, it was like, I, I gotta make sure that I'm doing what's best for the family. And, uh, this other job was gonna pay me more and was. Probably going to last longer than this one, so I was kind of up in the air either way, so this was probably, well, this definitely was a blessing in disguise I was, uh, I made out a lot better at this other, this uh, second temp job You know, and I took that week off, or two weeks, it was two weeks between the gigs I took those two weeks and just, you know, kind of got ready for this new job And uh, this was a big contracted job, they were, this is a very big project They probably brought in Somewhere between three and 5,000 people for this project So uh, I was just, you know, a worker I was uh, a frontline worker And uh, because it turned out that I had applied I, I didn't even know that this, uh, that this project was a, a thing And I had applied for it a bit late uh, As compared to other people And they didn't have any management level positions available And uh, during my interview I got the... Uh, That oft-stated, overqualified uh, line of malarkey, where I was told, uh, you know, well, we don't have any management positions open. Are you sure you want to do this? Like, well, yeah, I I need a job, so I will do whatever you need me to do. And so I started this job, and uh, man, it was a blast not being in charge. I had uh, I'd been in management for over a decade at this point. I've I'd always had, you know, problems laid in my lap. I uh, had to worry about, you know, P&Ls and payroll and upstream, downstream, and dealing with corporate and uh, travel sometimes. And, and anybody's anybody's mistakes or anybody's gaffes would uh, reflect on me, and I'd have to either be a disciplinarian or just deal with a very uncomfortable situation with, uh, with an employee. And I... That just sucks. That's not fun. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's part of the it's part of the gig, but uh, it's just not fun. Uh, I'd rather just uh, I'd rather everything be smooth sailing. But when you're in management, not everything's in your control, you know. But every but every the buckle always stops with you. You know, I had a uh, my philosophy was a. You know, I try to share ownership uh, with everyone involved, but. I take all the responsibility. That was one my philosophy. I wanted everybody to feel like they had a piece of what we were working on. But if things went south, it was all on me. And, that, and that, that's the way it should be when you're a manager, I, I believe. Um, so I was in this new job, and I was not in charge. And it was so much fun. I uh, met some great people who I've since lost touch with because I am a terrible friend, and that's what I do. But... Uh, It was just so fun not having to worry about, if I saw someone goofing off, it didn't matter because it didn't reflect on me. I didn't have to deal with it because there were a lot of people goofing off. I mean, you get that many people together. um, And we all had such a kinship because it was, you know, 2010. A lot of people had lost their jobs. Uh, This was a temporary job and we were all there for a temporary time. And uh, there was a real kinship there. Because a lot of us had faced similar challenges Over the past The years preceding that And uh And I just didn't want to be I didn't want to be the guy to deal with all of this I didn't want to be the guy who would have to tell people to, to you know get to work And thankfully I wasn't I just had a really good time Hanging out with people And we started, the job started very very slowly So we had a lot of idle time So I got to really know these people And uh you know I, and like i said i i am a terrible friend i did i have not followed up with these folks in a very long time and that's that's all on me i am really really bad at uh keeping up with uh people but uh you know that said this was uh, a really fine job and i remember uh i had our manager come over to us and uh she pulled me aside one day and this is early in the project maybe like 2 weeks in and she said that she was looking over resumes and she noticed that I had management experience and told me that there was a management position opening up in a different department and that she would let the other manager know that I was interested if I was interested and I was like no I I don't want to do that. I'm having a blast, you know. I don't. I don't want to be in charge of anything, and I don't want to. I don't want to leave this department. I made a whole bunch of friends in this one. And uh, she's like, "Okay, well, you know, it's there. You know, let me know by the end of the day if you change your mind." And I didn't. Then we jump ahead a few more weeks, and I get pulled aside again. And and she wasn't just pulling me aside. She was going to anybody in the department with uh, management experience just to let me know that hey, there's another management position available. And uh, she could put our name in there if we're if we want an interview and all that good stuff. So I don't want to make it th- I don't want to make it sound like you know these were guaranteed jobs because they weren't. It was just a you know I can let them know that you're open to for an interview basically. And uh, and again I, I I turned it down. I didn't want to didn't want to you know upset the applicant. I didn't want to ruin my good time. Uh, like I said it it had been. Well over a decade that I'd been in various levels of management And uh, and while there is a certain pull for me it, it, For management positions it, It's also kind of soul-crushing And it's also, uh, it's it, it could be a lot less fun Than just being, you know, a pair of boots on the ground So I turned it down And I remember I was telling... Uh, I was visiting with my mother, and she had asked how the job was going, and I had uh, let it slip that, oh, you know, they they, met, they you know, the manager came over and talked to me about a position and I uh, turned it down. And I said that within earshot of my wife, who <laughs> couldn't figure out why I would uh, I would turn down a management uh, offer. even though it wasn't necessarily an offer, it was an opportunity to uh, to, you know apply and i said uh, you know i i was having a good time and the money was good it wasn't like it's a huge bump in pay for this uh for a management level position and i was just uh i was not dreading going to work um i was you know when i was in the when i was with the pharmaceutical company the days were kind of a drag it was like one of those where I'd look at the I'd, I'd look at my phone at noon, and I'd be like, "Okay, well, it's only you know five hours left to go." You know, <laughs> and it was, and then and then you start to calculate out the week, and it's like, "Okay, it's only you know thirty six hours left to go." It was, it was just such a, it was very very dreary, um, and, and and it was, it was always going to be because it was a uh, project that was winding down, so it was going to be, on that downward a uh, slope the entire time. The it the, the was never going to get any better than it was when we started because as we were going to move forward, you know, more and more lights were going to be switched off and more and more doors were going to be shut and more and more people were going to be let go. So it was just a very down situation. Whereas this project was more boisterous. We were we were getting we were gearing up for this project and you know, more people were joining us like every week and it was just such a feeling of excitement and uh and like I said, there was this kinship between us because we'd all face these hard times together, and uh, suddenly there was this, you know, brief but bright light where everything was going to be okay for a little while. You know, we were all guaranteed a little bit of time where we were going to be able to make a little bit of money. So I had to explain that <laughs> to my better half, and uh, I came around to. Saying, uh, you know, okay, the next, time, the next time she talks to me about a position, I'll consider it. And uh, wouldn't you know it, this was on a Saturday. And uh, that very Saturday, one of the supervisors in my department very loudly walked out. So there was suddenly a position in my own department opened up. And so the following Monday... When I returned to work, my manager came over and said, Hey, I don't want to bug you again, but there's another position available. And I said, Okay, okay, I will, uh, I'll interview. And uh, since this one was such a very loud uh, <laughs> resignation from this other supervisor, a lot of people knew about it. It spread all around the uh, complex. So uh, this position was. Widely, widely known And uh, a lot of people applied for it You know, there were somewhere between 80 and 100 applicants for this position And I had a, I, I was given my interview and I thought I bombed it um, Because in case it's not readily apparent, as you're listening to me babble I tend to babble uh and when I'm in an interview situation, I'm a very 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 subpar interview because I babble a lot and i'll I'll like I'll talk to myself as I as I'm doing it you know as I'm as I'm trying to answer questions or as I'm trying to talk about my strengths and weaknesses and all that cliche stuff and uh, so I thought I bombed it and I figured, okay well I guess that's a good thing and a bad thing because I didn't really want the job to begin with. I was happy doing what I was doing. And uh but you know, the, I committed to the to the interview. And suddenly, I I my that fire started to come back and it got to the point where it was like, "You know what? Screw it. I want the job. You know, I really really want this job now." I had talked myself into wanting this job. Um not that being the frontline associate that I was was uh, had lost any of its luster or uh, fun because it was still a blast I still really enjoyed going to work every day and hanging out and getting work done while I'm having a good time I, there's really no beating that it's you know it's that whole trite cliche you know if you love what you do you don't work a day in your life and for this brief time in my life I was having a blast so it was it was as though I wasn't even working at all But uh, I'd come around to really wanting this position. And uh, I got it, somehow. (laughs) I don't know how, but uh, I did get the position. And I was told, uh, it's like, okay, well, you got the job, but don't tell anybody about it for a week, which uh, which really kind of sucked, because everybody kind of knew, but I couldn't really confirm it. You know, like my friends saw me go into the office and then saw me come out of the office and, like, oh, so did you get it? I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the top five. You know, I had to <laughs> kind of uh, uh, sidestep uh, giving a uh, definitive answer. But, uh, and, and I promise, we are getting back to Strike Force here uh, in a little bit. Now, the day that the um, promotion was announced was uh, during our uh, Cinco de Mayo party. We had a Cinco de Mayo party, which is kind of a big deal out here. Um, And one of the other supervisors had brought in a, uh, like, this huge bag full of uh, these, like, chili pepper necklaces, which I'm sure, looking back now, seems like a very tone deaf thing to do. But uh, nobody really thought much about it then. And uh, so I'll never forget, I was wearing this chili pepper necklace, which I still have somewhere in the garage, I'm sure. They made the announcement that, hey, this is the new supervisor The new lead, whatever whatever they called me I don't remember exactly what it was Team lead, supervisor, something And, uh, you know, I got up I said a few words And I sat back down And suddenly I felt like I was going to be Violently ill And uh, I rushed off To a bathroom like three Departments away And I, uh I was violently ill, uh, and <laughs> the reason I, I ran so far is because when I'm sick, I'm very, very loud, uh, like it, uh, shakes the house to where the wife thinks I'm, like, actually dying, um, she's since gotten used to that and, uh, can now sleep through it if I'm, you know, violently ill, but, uh, I ran off to this other bathroom so I could throw up a lot, and, uh. And a couple of guys came into the bathroom As I was in the middle of it And uh, one of them's like I think someone's getting sick in here And uh, I I yelled back something like You think, genius? (laughs) In between heaves But uh Anyway, I got my new position And I got very, very sick And I went back to the uh, To our area of the building And just said, I I gotta go home (laughs) this is not gonna work I uh, I thought I was just gonna be sick the rest of the day and I didn't know what it was if I was contagious. I'm like this is not the way to start this new position so I went home and on the way home I thought I was gonna be sick again so I pulled off the freeway and you know I, a lot of uh, a lot of freeways in in these United States are under constant construction and Arizona' is no different. So I was unable to get onto uh, the freeway Like my normal way So I had to like kind of circumnavigate The you know, South Phoenix area Which is, is a trial even on the best day So I, I had to weave through these one-way streets And in between uh, trucks and buses And uh, the light rail and all this kind of crap And I found myself uh, in front of a Dairy Queen Just in time because I thought I was going to be very sick again So I get out I take care of what I had to take care of And uh, realize that I was right down the block From a comic shop that I used to go to When I was, you know, employed So, I'm like, you know what, screw it I'm here I'm not going to be back here for a little while Let's go inside and see what they've got And here is where we're going to actually talk about some comic books Believe it or not I go inside and, uh I see uh, they this is this is a pretty good store. they have uh, they have a consignment area. so if you're selling your comics, you can sell complete runs of comics there in their store and they they take a cut for you know for stocking it and putting it out there. but uh you know th- these these deals are are they're very, very good deals is what I'm trying to say. Um, you can get full runs of books that had the comic shop themselves been selling it would have been priced at you know, X times 100, and uh, when it's just uh, somebody in the neighborhood selling it Through their consignment program, you're going to get a much better deal Uh, You're not going to get the individual bags and boards You might not get the best condition Uh, You're going to get reader copies at worst But uh, I just love the idea of a, a consignment section of a comic shop I think that's a great way to do business uh, I'm sure that the shops don't see as much profit as they'd like to from that, and that's why it's probably not something that you see terribly often, but uh, I love it as a consumer. So I go in and I see Strikeforce Moritory. Now, uh, Strikeforce Moritory I had first learned about in a Wizard Magazine article, um, probably around the turn of the century, maybe late 90s, whatever the case. It was an article... Basically lamenting the fact that, uh, certain runs of, uh, of classic comics would probably never be reprinted or collected because of, uh, I don't know if it's rights issues or just lack of interest in a certain sort of a genre of book, which Strikeforce Moratorium might might have fallen into. But it was, uh, kind of akin to those, uh, old, like, brilliant but cancelled sort of shows that, that would air, where they would t- look at a, uh, like a show that got a pilot or a few episodes and, uh, didn't make it, you know So that's where I first heard of Strikeforce Moriatory And I, you know, put it in my, you know, mental checklist of things that I should keep an eye out for And it's a, uh, it's, this was again late 90s So the back issue market hadn't kind of uh, fallen into what it is today Where back issues are much more affordable now uh, This is still where you know, you were lucky to get a, a bagged and boarded thing for five bucks or less. You know, it's late 90s. The, some some shops didn't realize that the bubble had burst yet. And so, I kind of just registered it in my head and was like, eh, you know, I'll probably never get to experience that, but I'll keep it in mind in case I see a random issue here and there. And uh, the issue I found a lot was the first issue. Uh, that that one That one's in almost every... 25 cent and 50 cent bin that I uh, come across It's just the rest of them are hard to find Especially as you get towards the end of the run I think this ran like 31 or 32 issues It was eventually followed up By a four or five part Prestige format um, series uh, Called Electric Undertow That had maybe Mark Bagley's first professional art Maybe very early uh, in his uh, career but uh, I, I kind of just wrote it off as something I'd never get to experience. And anytime I did come across a Strikeforce Moritory in the bins, I would grab it, you know. And I think in the subsequent decade uh, between reading that article and this day, I probably had like six issues of it. You know, it just doesn't come up very—you uh, don't see it very, uh, very often, uh, except for that first issue, which I think I have like three or four copies of at this point. So. I'm at this uh, I'm at this shop. I'm still kind of nauseous or nauseated or however you say that? And I see it and it's ten9.99 for the entire series, including the prestige formats. and I was like, whoa, no brainer <laughs> I gotta get this. And then I notice that there's a red uh, a red sticker on it, which means it's 50% off. So five bucks for this entire run. It's like, okay, this was meant to be. And uh, maybe this, uh, this stomach bug I've got now was just to get me here to read this uh, To get to buy and finally read Strikeforce Moritori. Now I was going to go back to work the following day But I woke up and uh, was no longer sick to my stomach But I had uh, conjunctivitis, had pink eye Now my wife is a second grade teacher So uh, pink eye is not altogether foreign unfortunately so uh, I had Pink Eye, and I figured, I called in, and I was like, hey, I feel okay. But here's the thing, I got Pink Eye, and the boss was like, nope, 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 stay home. Stay home today, stay home tomorrow, stay home the next day, I don't care. Don't come in with Pink Eye. So I was like, okay. I stayed home. And uh, through my uh, unpleasant and unflattering eyes, I read the first half of Strike Force Moritori. And to give a little bit of a background on it uh, If you hadn't listened to that episode of the Cosmic Treadmill Like I mentioned earlier, these folks take the Moritory Complex inoculation To give themselves superpowers to fight off these aliens With the understanding that To do so, they are limiting their lives to, at best, a year You know, within a year, they will die And, uh... Like I said then, they could either die in battle Or they could just succumb to the uh, process uh, The degenerative whatever it is So I read it, had a great time with it, loved it um, Would actually love to talk about it more But uh, the idea, the the thought of starting another podcast Another regular podcast is uh, a bit daunting <laughs> But if there was ever a, a show I'd want to do uh, Outside of my From Claremont to Claremont X-Men show I think a Strikeforce Mori Tori one would be uh, a lot of fun to do. If anyone has any designs on that, let me know. Um, But I read it, loved it, went back to work when I was feeling better, or when my eye cleared up, and was called immediately into an all-hands-on-deck meeting, and this was featuring everybody, you know, everybody from every department. And uh, we were broken into like three or four shifts, um, so this was several hundred people all loaded up into a, a giant meeting room. It was basically like a, uh, warehouse. Or, it was exactly like a warehouse. Um, uh, and we were told, and this is still very early on in the, uh, the process and the project. Uh, the main director, the guy in charge of the entire, uh, Megillah here, was stood in front of us and he said that, uh, Everything was now in place, and from here on out, we were going to start having regular riff days. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, riff is reduction in force. Um, if you are uh, familiar with, you know, being laid off or uh, <laughs> or just working temporary assignments, there's always a riff. And and we were all confused because we had just started not too long before this, and. Uh, we were expecting a longer tenure and it was right then and there that i'm standing and i was like wow when we signed on for this job it was as though we were taking the moritory process we had we had all gotten our inoculations and we knew that uh that we were basically all lining up to be fired you know and and, and of course you know some you know a temporary job and one's life aren't <laughs> Aren't things that you want to compare because there really there is no comparison. But in a weird way, it was so apropos that I had finally discovered this series at a time where I could actually draw some parallels between uh, what these folks were going through and what we were going through in the real world. Um, you know, it was like we who are about to be fired salute you because we all knew that it was coming, and to have it in our face like this. It really kind of uh, put a pall on on the entire uh, project and endeavor, where we were all very, very deflated, and uh, things got very, very tense um, because it's like nobody trusted anybody anymore. We lost a bit of that kinship, where you know if 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 you stay, that means I go. You know, it was a lot of contention and a lot of. Uh, a lot of undercuttedness, a lot of uh, allegiances, real and fake, um, a lot of people trying to chum up to supervisors who were no safer than the frontline employees. It was very, very strange time, and uh, I think last week or last episode we talked about the uh, the kubler Ross uh, stages of loss, and you know you have that you got that denial, you've got the bargaining. And a lot of that was showing up here um, A lot of denying that's like Well, it's too soon for this This won't happen yet Nah, this won't happen yet Or you do that thing where you convince yourself That you're too vital to the operations Even though there's a thousand other people there doing the same exact thing um, And of course, you know, the bargaining It's like, well, if I, if I can chum up with these people Maybe I will, uh, you know Maybe the first few waves Of the, of the moritory process will miss me and it was a very weird time And unfortunately I really <laughs> I didn't feel very good sharing My parallels between the moriatory process And uh, the rift days Because first, people would have looked at me Like I had three heads uh, And second, you know there, there's, there's a certain amount of irony to it But who wants to hear that When they're told that their job is about to go away Possibly So I, I kept it to myself But uh it was a very strange uh, few months to follow because you just didn't know. Um, just like in Strike Force Mori Tori, uh, not to spoil too much of it, but I think the first couple of deaths don't even happen in battle. You know, I think they happen just randomly to show you just how the, the, the how, what the playing field looks like. You know that these aren't going to all be. Heroic, quote-unquote heroic deaths Even though they are all heroic deaths Because these folks had decided to Basically forfeit their own lives For the betterment of the planet So they were all heroic in a way But they weren't all in battle They weren't all uh, iconic, Iconically heroic perhaps Or I don't know I, I, I'm at a loss for how to describe this But I'm hoping that you will get what I'm trying to say here where there is a certain there, There's a difference between Dying on the battlefield And dying in a, You know, dying in a chair <laughs> You know, you're just getting orders For your next course of action And all of a sudden you just succumb and die I think there's two different ways of looking at it And uh, Here we are In this uh, temporary contracted position Where Any day you can go in and be told it's your last You know, or Or as someone who is now on the management side, any day I could go in and be told that I have to make it someone's last. Which isn't great, you know? Uh, These were all people that I had bonded, you know, brief but very strong friendships with because of, as I mentioned, that kinship we all had. We were all... Uh, we were all in down portions of our lives. We we're in down sections of our lives where we were trying to rebuild. And to be the person who would perhaps have to swing the hatchet or be involved in the decision making process in which the hatchet would swing, it, it sucked. It wasn't uh, it wasn't great. And uh, you know i I miss these people because they were. They were very important to me uh, During the time we were And I hate to just harp on it But there was just such a, a bond Because we were all in such similar Lots in life at this point And we had all lost So much And you have this This glimmer Of a, of a job here And you're told that at any day You know don't Don't get too comfortable Because once you do it's done and They say uh, And this is Here's another Really really horrible analogy But they say like If you're in prison Don't make friends <laughs> um, Because it, It's a different um, It's a different context It's a different dynamic When you're In a sort of In that sort of a position Where When you're back Acclimated into Real world The rules are a lot different And And Working in this temp environment, um, the dynamic was completely different than it would have been in a permanent position or just out there in the world, uh, you know, socially or whatever. As the uh, subsequent weeks drew on, um, it started with a trickle, you know, where people would be like two or three people would go in a day. Um, it's funny, once uh, uh, one person got uh, rift and a guy stood up and he's like, "Hey, you know what? I quit." Like at the very moment. So that person was spared from the moratorium process uh, to be riffed another day. Well, it was a very noble gesture on the on that fellow's part, but it just showed how just how uh, wobbly and nebulous the entire uh, deal was, you know. And uh, then you'd get to we'd have like really really big rift days where. We'd be walking 30 people out And it was just so rough Uh, Because you'd have to A phrase that was bandied about a lot uh, Was the new normal Because uh, people were preparing for the new normal Which was going to be unemployment again And uh, it was said with disdain Which, you know, I I understand that Um, And it was said with... uh, A particular pointedness toward the folks who were not yet let go And there really isn't a whole lot you could do for these people I mean, there's only so many parties you can throw for this kind of a thing Where it's like, where you want to thank them for, uh, you know, doing their job as as well as they did But it it kind of feels, it's that whole kissing your sister thing, you know It's like, well here's a party for you, now get out (laughs) Or... Or, you know, you're going to have a really nice day today, but uh, tomorrow's going to suck. You know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest situation. Um, but uh, I wound up being spared for, uh, until the very, very end. Um, from the thousands of us who started, uh, I was let go when there were probably about 20 of us left. And uh, I consider myself to be quite lucky. To have uh, dodged the axe as long as I did, and uh, I actually had to sign—I <laughs> had to sign my uh, release forms both as employee and as the supervisor, which was uh, a little surreal. Um, it was the second time I actually had to do that. I had to do that when I uh, during the re- when I lost the recycling gig. I had to sign my layoff papers as my supervisor and as myself. Which, yeah, there's a certain amount of uh, I don't know if it's poetic justice or just uh, uh, weird fodder so I could tell a story You know, 10 years later, 15 years later, who knows But I just thought that was a uh, very weird uh, time for me to discover Strikeforce Moritori um, When I was in the midst of being (laughs) in between temporary gigs Where uh, you could be riffed or moritoried out at uh, any day without warning And the parallels there were, especially since I was in it, uh, you know, looking back now, it's a little bit precious, but, uh, when I was in it and every day was a gamble, it, uh, really, really resonated with me. And I actually didn't finish reading Strikeforce Moritory until a couple years later. I, I didn't want to get back into it. I don't know why, if it was, maybe I just overdid it, or maybe it was just that it was a little too close to, uh, to what was going on. I don't know. But, uh, it was it was a it was a heck of a year. Um, it was a really great job. Uh, a lot of great people, um, who uh, I really really should have kept in touch with, but uh, like I said, I'm a terrible friend, so I did not. But great people, great times, and a very 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 weird time to discover Strikeforce Mori Tory. But that's not the team we're here to discuss today, is it? No, no, we're here to discuss. The Justice League International And uh, the JLI came back During the Brightest Day event And like I'd mentioned During our uh, Brightest Day talk I don't know, a month, month and a half ago I don't even remember the episode number But uh, I had purposely avoided uh, Reading DC Comics Because I didn't want to uh, I really didn't want to fall into the comics bubble again I... You know, Marvel is where I started my fandom, uh, in, in as far as the rabid consumer fandom. And so when I got back into comics, uh, when I had a few extra dollars to spend, I, I wanted just to stay with Marvel. I didn't want to jump across the table to DC. I had purposely avoided reading much about DC because I didn't want to fall back into it. But then I saw that JLI was back, and that really kind of lit that fuse. And it was also around the time And I discussed this very briefly during I don't remember which episode I think it was the Nightwing 90 the, the the Nightwing episode That Reggie and I discussed Where uh, Devin Grayson was the writer And Nightwing was uh, sexually assaulted We talked about fan backlash And This is around the time Where uh, Marvel was raising their prices But cutting their pages And they were not Quite, they were not so upfront about that And when it was brought to people's attention Via a uh, comic book resources message board post That, you know, Marvel was now charging $4 on every book And instead of the comics being 20 pages Some were 18, some were 16, some were 17 And somebody from Marvel Who, uh, I won't name because I'm not sure if it was this person or not But, uh, someone from Marvel Popped in on the thread and, uh Instead of just saying, hey, you know That's the cost of doing business Because that's an answer we can all accept We don't have to like it, but we can accept it Instead of saying something like that They mocked this person for counting pages They're like, oh, well, you bought a comic So you can count pages And then suddenly all the all the Do we still say White Knight? Is that still something we say? Uh, all the Marvel White Knights came in And were just piling on this poor guy For daring to count the pages of his comic And I, I don't count pages of my comic I... There's just too damn many comics to count pages But uh, this guy did And then he started counting pages For all of Marvel's comics Because, I mean, I guess any publicity Is good publicity And, you know, so then This thread just blew up And Marvel pros were coming in And they were all just mocking this dude And making him seem like an extremist And then CBR did what they do And uh, they used their journalistic integrity To Remove the context from the uh, from the thread, so all that was left were people like cursing Marvel out. So it made it look like one side of the argument was really, really, really off base, while Marvel was just you know giving as good as they got, instead of openly uh, harassing their fandom. Uh, when I read that, and this was right around the same time. I was like, you know, maybe maybe I should go <laughs> do a little DC uh, reading. Um, and then, you know, JLI was there And it was a perfect storm To get me back onto the other side of the table So, uh, I went over And I started reading the brightest day books And right after the horns We will go into this one <laughs> Justice League, Generation Lost, number one Cover dated early July 2010 This was a bi-weekly or a twice-monthly book, I should say Stories called Gone But Not Forgotten uh, story slash script by Judd Winnick. Story slash breakdowns, Keith Giffen. Pencils, Aaron Lopresti. Inks, Matt Ryan. Colored by Hi Fi. Letters, Sal Cipriano. Assistant editor, Rex Ogle. Editor, Michael Siglane or Siglian. Uh, at a cover price of $2.99. And we open a day and a half in the past. The believed slash once dead Maxwell Lord is approached by a pair of police officers. They yell at him to stop, but he's got a different idea. We get brought up to speed quite nicely here, with intermittent panels showing scenes from Max's past. You know, he assembled the Justice League after the crisis, he killed Ted Kord at the beginning of Infinite Crisis, he took over the OMAC project, and ultimately he got some chiropractic assistance from Wonder Woman in the form of a broken neck. He uses his mind control powers to force the officers to blow each other's brains out And then he wipes away the resulting trickle of blood under his nose If you recall, when he uses his powers, he gets a nosebleed A little exposition for folks unfamiliar with the era Uh, Wonder Woman killed Max in the lead up to Infinite Crisis uh, And he would rise during Black as Night And he would be one of the handful of characters to remain alive going into brightest day And that puts us exactly where we are now we shift ahead several hours to the Hall of Justice, where Superman has the floor. He's informing the media and superhero community about the apparent return of Maxwell Lord. Now, why all the hoopla? Well, I'm glad you asked. When Max took control of the OMAC project, he also found himself with full access of the Bat Computer, which means he knows, you know, pretty much everything about pretty much everything. We jump to the present, and Booster Gold is embroiled in battle with some armored mercenaries outside the former JLI Moscow embassy. He's shocked to learn that Power Girl had let those baddies escape, and recaptures them later on to avoid a firefight in the city. Booster expresses a bit of justifiable frustration. He's been sent all over the world on assignments that don't appear to be very Max Lord-centric. It's almost as though he's being kept busy, so he doesn't screw things up too much. Hmm. We shift to Ice's cruddy apartment, and she's watching the news of Max's return while huddled against the wall. She unleashes a blast of uh, ice to destroy the television set. Her outburst is interrupted by a knocking at the door. It's a man with a laptop, and uh, I'm guessing this is supposed to be fire on the screen, but it's not totally clear here. She finds herself dragged back into superheroics. Uh, Very nice uh, body language here in this scene This is some really good stuff here from Lepresti Now we shift ahead a bit to a mission in the desert Featuring Captain Adam Fire, and Ice who's back They're flanked by several military vehicles As they track a signal which may or may not be Maxwell Lord We rejoin Booster Gold at Rip Hunter's time lab He's staring at recent photos of the returned Max Lord In various locations all across the globe He's still annoyed that he's being left out of the quote-unquote real search, which prompts Skeets to posit that the league might be keeping Booster away for his own good, perhaps fearing that he's a bit too close to the situation and, uh, well, you know, he might have a point there. Booster ain't hearing none of that, see, and continues thinking out loud. He cites Max's own arrogance and suggests he would return to the JLI New York Embassy to, quote, hide in plain sight. Back in the desert, the trio is led to a cave by their radar-tracking hoodoo. Captain Adam enters in hopes of procuring Maxwell Lord, but it's a no-go. Instead of finding his former boss, he finds a bomb. It explodes, but Adam is able to absorb most of the blast. He launches into the atmosphere in order to release it a safe distance from Earth. Back with Booster, he's arrived at the JLINY embassy where he finds himself bombarded by electromagnetic pulses which cancel out all the powers of his suit before panic can set in he's bashed over the back of the head with a rebar with a chunk of cement on the end looks like booster gold has finally found maxwell lord now the next scene here is a this is a really good scene here uh, max just continues to beat the holy hell out of booster with the rebar all while lamenting the fact that he has no choice he had no choice but to kill blue beetle He says the act still haunts them. He even refers to Booster as being his friend, and also being someone that he misses quite a bit. It's it's really powerful stuff here. He thinks back to his death at the hands hands of Wonder Woman, and suggests that if he was brought back, it must be for a good reason. And he's convinced himself that his purpose is to, quote, save the damn world. He leaves Booster in a puddle of blood, and, as you might imagine, it looked quite dire. Michael manages to retrieve a communicator and send out an SOS to Skeets. Now, I remember reading this the first time, and I thought that uh, Max had killed Booster, uh, because, I mean, post the deal, it seemed like it, when it comes to Bwahaha leaguers, he really couldn't uh, make place a bet either way. Uh, Booster does, though, wake up sometime later, and he's surrounded by his former teammates, Fire, Ice, and Captain Adam. They're shocked to see the amount of blood loss, and Adam searches the body where he was hit. Booster is able to mutter that the pool of blood he's lying in isn't actually his. And so, we shift to Maxwell Lord. He stood before a tub of ice water and has blood being pumped into his veins by a machine. He's about to push the limits of his mind control power, and he knows what he's planning is is going to cost him a lot of blood. He screams, blood goes everywhere, and he falls into that ice-filled tub. A wave sweeps over the entire planet and we see that it's even affected all of the big guns of the DC Universe. Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, everybody. Captain Adam leaves Booster to follow the trail of blood and follows it all the way to that blood and ice-filled tank in the next room. Max, unfortunately, is already long gone and the blood is already congealing. Superman arrives in response to the JLI signal Booster had sent earlier and asks what's up. The gang tells him about the manhunt for Maxwell Lord, to which Superman replies, Who's Max Lord? We wrap up with a shot of Max enjoying a drink and a smoke atop a roof of a castle, where here it looks like uh, business is about to pick up. We're left with the quote, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Charles Baudelaire, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, This is the book that it took to draw me back into DC Comics in a really big way I enjoyed this then and uh, I still enjoy it now Uh, I remember that there were some weeks where there was a fifth week uh, during this run Where it would take an extra week for the book to come out Because this wasn't a bi-weekly book, it was a twice-monthly book So there were weeks where we didn't get a Brightest Day or a Generation Lost It was only a few of the weeks, but I felt them every time because... I was just having such a great time with this story. And I mean, it's a very interesting concept for a story. We got Max Lord with the power to control minds, so stands to reason, why not at least try to control every single mind on the planet? And, uh, you know, what's more, if you have the potential to touch every single mind on Earth and beyond, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of weird here, you know, why, not, why make people forget you instead of maybe worship you? But, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's kind of the uh, thing to this story this is, this is Max's plan You know, Max needs to be forgotten in order for his plan to unfold uh, Instead of just being the ruler of Earth Which, I mean, he could have done at any time That's not the plan Which is really, really cool And subtle uh, Let's stick with Max for a little bit here His return to the living has affected him As, you know, it probably would anybody who came back to life He feels like he's been brought back for a specific purpose. A righteous one at that. Uh, The scene between he and Booster was just awesome. Uh, I mean, Max saying that he missed him and that he had to kill Blue Beetle. Uh, You know, he had no choice. He had to do it, and he misses their friendship, and he misses the old days. I I think that's just so cool. Um, I mean, he even does a callback to, you know, walking Booster into the league, you know, because back then he was trying to pull a fast one with the whole Royal Flush Gang thing. He had its so own booster could save the day and prove his worth to the team just such a such a great callback now use of the old international league is pretty perfect for a story like this because i mean people never really trusted them completely and they they never held them in such high regard as you know the main core jla i mean it it took until you know superman joined them before his death before anybody really took them as as any kind of a threat or any kind of a force um, even the other superheroes kind of raise their noses at them. Here uh, we get Booster with his busy work, just so he doesn't get in the way. <laughs> I think that's very interesting. Because I mean, we there are two ways we can look at that. We can either look at that as the other heroes protecting Booster from being on Max's trail, since the you know the Beetle death might make him a little too close to the situation. But in the back of your mind is always a little bit of doubt that it's like, well, this guy might screw everything up. So let's let's just keep him busy. You know, Now being the only folks who can remember Maxwell Lord Opens up a lot of possibilities And it also facilitates them looking a bit loony Which kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy there With uh, the other heroes thinking that they're goofballs anyway And they don't think they have any credibility So here they are rambling about a guy who As far as everyone else knows never existed So I mean that's just I think that's just really really subtle and and great Uh, The art loved it um, Lepresti has an awesome style here. He's got this ability to convey a lot of emotion through faces. Uh it's almost like Kevin McGuire level of facial contortion here. It's really, really nice. Um if I were to complain about any of the art, it would probably be the cover. I don't like the cover and I'm using it as the art for this episode, and you'll you'll see it's kind of uh eh, not the best. Uh now this I would wholeheartedly recommend checking this out. Uh I I gotta admit that I was a little bit trepidatious when I saw Judd Winnick's name attached to it. Um, He's a fella I run very hot and very cold with. I feel like he's uh, a little too soapboxy at times, which is the very, you know, the boilerplate uh, Judd Winnick complaint. But uh, when he's on, he's on. When he's on, I think he might be one of the the better uh, superhero writers out there. And this one here... Is just really, really good And, uh, one that I would Definitely recommend checking out Uh, I mean, you can find it digitally It's, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's been collected in trade And hardcover And all that stuff that they The rigmarole of reprints That they put put out So, uh, yeah (laughs) This is a good one Um, it kind of, uh You know, while Brightest Day Kind of opened the door for me To come back into DC Uh, this book here You know, made me finish Kicking the door open So I could, uh Really, really get back in In deep And uh, it came at uh, just the right time In my life And unfortunately Just a little bit before That cosmic toilet flush That uh, maybe one day we'll discuss I I, I figure that could be a very long <laughs> And a very uh, precious episode That we might uh, We might just hold off on For a little bit longer yet <laughs> Okay, it's time for the hot take And it is a uh, very strange hot take this time out We're going to be looking at the letters page from a Marvel comic We don't get to talk about Marvel too much here uh, We did just talk about Strike Force Moritory tangentially for an extended period of time But uh, what we're going to look at is the letters page from X-Force, Volume 1, Number 117 Cover dated June 2001 and the reason we're doing that is because this is the very definition of a hot take. Um, this is all about the uh, reimagining, uh, the, or the the new look X-Force, following Counter-X and that weird Warren Ellis-led uh, deal where suddenly everybody was wearing black leather and uh, <laughs> and the book only came out when it felt like it. Uh, this is post-Quesada uh, and Jemis where uh, Peter Milligan and Michael Allred came in and just totally uh, put uh, X-Force on its ear. Just a whole new team, all these new uh, awesome pop-arty characters coming in. And uh, the letters we're going to look at today are basically going to be looking at the announcement. These are, these are reactions from just the announcement that there is a new look X-Force on its way. These are people who have never read the book because the book didn't come out yet. So this is all, like I said, the very definition of a hot take here So this is exclamations from uh, that X-Force issue And it opens with a uh, little piece from Axel Alonso Who was then editor, he wasn't the editor-in-chief just yet Or he wouldn't be for a little while anyway He says, well, we've been deluged with letters, pro and con From the folks who quote, wind of the changes in the air We've been bounced by the comics code, and we've bounced right back. And all this before our first ish- issue even hits the stands. So, while we're collecting the mail that came in with to issue 116, Exit Wounds, the first issue of the new era, let's peruse some of the mail that came in over the past couple of months, all of which was received prior to issue 116 hitting the stores. And, of course, 116 is where, you know, that look-ma-no-code, the, uh, the, the whole new look, X-Force, first uh, debuted. Now our first letter is from Roy from the Netherlands He says, dear exclamations I see from the letters page that there are some major things going to happen to X-Force But why change a winning team? This book is great I would be very sad to see any of the characters leave or die I wouldn't mind some new members, but don't kill anyone, please Well, Roy, Counter-X X-Force sucked (laughs) It wasn't very good, come on, man and it never came out It was just It was very very late And it was When it did come out It wasn't very good Um When I look back at it It feels like a uh, Like one of those Boilerplate uh, Wildstorm books that, that was coming out Around the turn of the century Where it's like Shadowy black ops Monitor filled rooms It just felt more like More of that And uh I mean, characters got new powers, secondary mutations, just to kind of make the round peg fit into the square hole of the story. It wasn't wasn't the best. Uh, Axel replies with, Well, Roy, simply put, the revamped X-Force is part of an overhaul of the the entire X-Men line. New editor-in-chief Joe Quesada wants creators to contribute independent visions to the X-Universe, for each book to say something different. The book you're holding in your hands is an attempt by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred to make you look at the concept of mutantism and its limitless ramifications in a new way, and have fun doing it. Our next letter is from Winston in Texas. Dear exclamations, I feel that I ought to say something in regards to the plans for the future for X-Force. Granted, I understand the need for new directions and attempting to find new and exciting ways to tell stories in the format of comics, but... I've read reviews and heard rumors that there are plans to get rid of slash kill off the entire team and get new characters. Well, they didn't kill the other team, but they did kill the first uh, crew of the new team. Spoiler alert. Furthermore, I have heard that the creative team coming on board is equivalent to a Sunday morning Funnies Pages type team. I've seen promotion art and it is backed what I had suspected. I ask you to reconsider this. I grew up with X-Force and I have every issue of the New Mutants. These characters and storylines have been a part of my life for longer than I can remember. Despite the fact that everything in my life seems to change, I always had the refuge of this comic and could relate to the characters, such as Danny Moonstar or Cannonball. They're like close friends, and through the years I've watched creative teams come and go, but there was always the spirit of the characters and the continuity to keep me coming back. The idea of all new characters, who are, well, who are well-liked by humans and get good press coverage, Has been done. Remember when X-Factor received an all-new cast of popular society-type mutants? The only reason that book stayed afloat for so long is that it had cool characters from all over the Marvel Universe. This one does not. It is not X-Force. Feel free to call it that, but it isn't. I implore you not to destroy something that so many people love and just turn it into another Junior Justice League of wrong-headed miscreants. But as always, I will come back, even if it is just for some glimmer of hope that something that I love will return to the book. So please heed my advice and make mine marvel. Well, <laughs> I don't remember X-Factor really being uh, popular at any time, really. That, that always seemed like an also-ran, or probably the lesser of the four, uh, uh, what I consider the core X-Books, with the uncanny X-Men, X-Men, X-Force, and X-Factor. I always put X-Factor kind of at the bottom of that in terms of popularity But, uh, Winston is not happy with the changes uh, I don't really get, uh, I don't really get the Sunday funnies kind of kind of vibe here I, I, <laughs> I don't get that, but uh, let's see what Axel has to say Well, Winston, hope you decide to stick around Sounds like you've heard a lot about the revamped X-Force in advance to actually reading it Odds are it's probably not exactly what you, or anyone who's rushed to judgment, thought it would be. As far as you're concerned of a new te- that the new team is a junior Justice League of wrong-headed miscreants, understand this comic book is about heroes. It's just that sometimes you have to look hard to find heroes, and when you find them, they have flaws, just like anyone else. The next one is from the internet. Someone named J, the letter J. Exclamations. I was going to ask if you people are insane, but at this point, that should go without saying. What the hell are you thinking? Do you really want this book to be canned? Do you have any idea how ridiculous the characters look? Please, don't go through with this. I love this title too much. What's that saying? Don't fix it if it ain't broke. I want to reiterate that Counter-X X-Force sucked. Um, so, <laughs> there you go. Axel says, well, Jay, there's also another saying, you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs. We're proud of the new X-Force, and we're sticking by it. Another one via the internet is from uh, someone, letter S. Dear X-Force, I just read about the new X-Force revamp, and I must say that I like the new ideas and direction. I like the new art, but what about Sam, Tab, Domino, Jesse, and James? Not to mention Siren. She got her powers back in Wolverine 155. Hello? Please don't leave these characters in, quote, character limbo. Please? Axel says, Glad to hear you liked Advanced Word on the X-Force Revamp, S. Now that you've had a chance to read the first couple of issues, be sure to write in and tell us what you think. As for the fates of Sam, Tab, Domino, Jesse, James, and Siren, don't look for them to be resolved anywhere in these pages, though I'm sure they'll turn up somewhere in the X-Universe. Yeah, perhaps wearing, um... Pseudo Nazi uh, paraphernalia in a very misguided, uh, uncanny X Men arc. Ugh. Next one comes from Temporis via the internet. Exclamations. I thought this would be a great place to express my anger over the new X Force. I'm very upset that the powers that be at Marvel let two madmen conceive this. Blah, blah, blah. I, I think that's supposed to be a bad word just in uh, ampersand language here. It's like they took a Farrelly Brothers movie, Dumb and Dumber, and me, myself, and Irene, and turned it into a comic book. Granted, I like Farrelly Brothers movies, and I love X-Force, but I don't want the two to merge. It's a move like this that makes me crave the days where it was Boomer, Cable, Domino, Feral, Richter, Siren, Shatterstar, Sunspot, and Warpath. Why, why, why are they doing this? I can't believe they canceled New Warriors and greenlighted this stupid piece of fecal matter. I admit it's harsh of me to judge a comic without having seen it, but from what I've read about it so far, I'm calling for an <coughs> all out boycott thank you for your time and concern Wow well <laughs> when you're when you're like waxing nostalgic for the days of uh the Leafieldian uh x force i mean that's uh that's something, and I don't know why uh, New Warriors is called into this because uh, that New Warriors run was pretty rough too. That uh, turn of the century uh, Nova in the different costume, New Warriors that was pretty rough too. Let's look at Axel's reply, and and I'm going to give Axel some credit here. He's actually replying to every letter, and he's not not really dismissing anybody. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we uh, we read a piece where uh, with the Electric Blue Superman. Where every naysayer was kind of dismissed uh, Both by letters writers and by the editor Which I never like it when they do that But uh, Axel, I'm going give, to uh, give him the credit where it's due here He's, he's really just, uh, he's meeting these people and, uh, and talking Now, he replies with Well, Temporis, I have to agree Deciding a creative work is fecal matter And calling for an all-out boycott before you've ever seen it Is, as you put it, a little harsh Truth be told, you're not the only reader to rush to judgment. Change hurts. The X-Force revamp has elicited some strong reactions, many of which were, let's just say, skeptical of the new direction of the series. Judging from the early returns, there were also a lot of folks who were eager to see where Peter and Mike were going to take them with the revamp. In fact, there were lots of letters from folks like our next writer who say that this is going to be their first foray into the X-Universe. All we can ask for is an open mind. Now that next letter comes from a William in San Francisco. He says, Dear X-Men editors, Milligan and Allred's X-Force will be the first X-Men comic I buy. Can't believe I'm saying this, but make mine marvel. Now Axel says, Take two breaths and let it rip, William, and stretch out those mms. Thanks for the vote of confidence. Now we have another one from the internet. This is from Kenneth. And he says, Dear Exclamations, this letter is in regards to your recent, decision, recent decisions to go ahead and publish X-Force 116 without Comics Code approval. Thank you. To which Axel says, Thanks, Ken. And let me tell you, Mike and Peter felt the same way. Even though, you know, the, the Comics Code had kind of been neutered at this point. Uh, I, I think uh, making, drawing attention to the fact that the, that the first issue of the new X-Force was a non-code rated book was a major step in the right direction for uh, the industry. Uh, You you know, like I said, I don't think anybody really paid much attention to the code around the turn of the century Uh, But just uh, the defiance of not submitting the book to them and still, you know, putting it on shelves Uh, That was uh, definitely a step in the right direction Now our final letter is from the same person This is the same Ken via the internet And he says here Dear Marvel I read an article at Fandom.com about a vague sense of paranoia, ready to be disappointed, but by the time I got to the Marvel won't ask Allred to make any changes, dot dot dot, they plan to release the issue Unchanged Without Code Approval, My Spirit Soared. This really is the new Marvel we're talking about. I am now looking forward to the release of X-Force 116 on May 23rd even more, as if it were even possible. And just so you know, we fans do notice these things and make our decisions accordingly. Had I read that Marvel was going to be censoring 116 to gain code approval, I probably would have dropped everything but New X-Men. I can't say no to Morrison and Quietly. I mean, these are the guys responsible for Flex Mentalo. We fans are notoriously fickle, you know. I haven't got a lot of money to spend on comics, and things like this make a difference. So anyways, nice job. You've just made this fan's day. And as long as this attitude prevails, you can not you can go on ahead and make mine Marvel. Now Axel here, he drops a little bit of, uh, a little bit of needed uh, knowledge here He says, thanks Ken, glad to have you aboard However, and this is important, he says Let's be careful using the, wor- the term censorship It's a word that's thrown around much too casually these days Yeah, just jump ahead to nearly two decades there, Axel Truth be told, had Marvel decided to request editorial changes in Peter and Mike's work This would have been its prerogative as the publisher of X-Force a dialogue would have been it would have ensued between myself and the creators and more than likely knowing peter and mike an amicable solution would have been reached optimally the relationship between an editor slash publisher and a creator is based on mutual trust that will allow for dialogue debate and even disagreement that marvel decided to stand behind the content of the issue is heartening of course but it is by no means the sole determinant of its commitment to peter and mike's vision now very enlightening uh, letters page there, and a very uh, and one that I, I, I appreciated uh, a lot more than I thought I might when I when I went back to this because uh, I think I conflate these early X Force um, letters pages with the early brand new day Spider Man letters pages where really the uh, the quote Spidey brain trust were just peeing all over the uh, loyal Spider Man fans at that point. Um, uh, just just really just mocking them And I think cherry picking some of the more embarrassing letters to print Just in order to facilitate mocking the other side of the argument Where this one here seemed to I mean, some of these were pretty hostile You know, um, the guy calling for a boy, boycott And calling it fecal matter I mean, that's kind of outrageous But Axel treated him like a human being And, and as a potential paying customer Who he didn't want to make run away So I definitely appreciated that it's very uncharacteristic, uh, in so far as what I think of when I think of Marvel these days. Um, so very refreshing to see that. And, uh, I hope you guys liked it too. It's a little different for the scope of this show, but I'm definitely open to, uh, discussing more and more, uh, from the other side of the table if, uh, if anybody's interested in hearing some Marvel thoughts. I think, I think I kind of get dismissed as a DC Homer, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of fair. Um, but, uh, even though I haven't bought a Marvel book in several years now, my Marvel library still dwarfs my DC library. That's how I came in, and uh, it'll always hold a special place with me. It's just uh, I just wish it were a little bit better today. And that's uh, pretty much all the time I'll take up from your day today, but I did want to read a few uh, nice little tweets I got uh, last week. Last week I discussed... The Electric Blue Superman And also my uh, move from uh, New York to Arizona When I uh, graduated high school And I I did get a few uh, Very, very nice uh, messages on Twitter Uh, First one from our friend Green Lantern HG He says, I'm listening and thinking back to the time I had to move And the friends I left behind Wondering of the, quote, what could have been I'm hanging on every word And then you say it's time to review a Superman comic I forgot all about that Great episode, Chris yeah, the uh, <laughs> thank you so much for that, uh, uh, GLHG. But uh, it is uh, the what could have beens are kind of the things I found myself getting stuck on. Um, I, I think that's what kind of stagnated me throughout that year where I kept thinking about what other things I could have been doing and, and, and what I did leave behind. And I really, I got so lost in what I left behind, I didn't consider what I now had in front of me In as far as just a fresh start And opportunities And uh You know a family that cared about me I I just didn't think about any of that All I could do was focus on On the what could have been's And it took me going back a year later To uh To realize that I was uh You know I was the only one kind of stuck You know everybody else had to move on Because we were all grown ups I was just the only one not acting like one And uh and I'm so happy to hear that you enjoyed the story there. I fear sometimes that, uh, not to go on another tangent, but there's a there's a show on NBC now called Superstore. Uh, it's pretty popular. Some of you have probably seen it. And in one of the episodes, uh, the main guy, Jonah, gets a, a book as a gift, and the book is called It's Not All Interesting, colon, How to Tell a Better Story. And I'm always afraid I'm going to be that guy who's just telling... <laughs> Telling a story that nobody cares about except me, and uh, it's heartening to to find that uh, that you found this one compelling, and I I appreciate that uh, a thousand percent. Now another uh, another tweet came from Mark Yeager, good friend of the show. He puts quote the difference between chasing a dream and committing to a dream. That got me thinking for a while, and uh, that was me talking about uh, regret and uh, and uh, returning to school. A lot later than I probably should have But, uh, reflecting On how, um During my Pseudo-youth, uh, young adulthood I, you know, I had many dreams That, uh, I, I was Open to chasing, but I never really committed Um, and Uh, I'm glad that was some food for thought Uh, I, I actually Had to listen back to the end of the episode Because I couldn't remember the context in which I said that And, uh, but I, I Definitely appreciate you, uh Getting something out of that line here uh, I, I I think I got something out of it when I re-listened to it Because <laughs> I wasn't sure where I was um, We got one from Bob Rowland From a, a Gal Walks Into a Comic Store a podcast He says, Chris, thank you so much for this episode God, that final summer of high school Such a pivotal time made me appreciate what I had Great job And thank you for that, Bob That's uh, I, I very much appreciate that message there Um, That final summer, you know, it's so important, you know. I mean, there's so many, uh, so many coming-of-age uh, movies that I haven't seen <laughs> that I think are that are that so many are based in that that final summer. Um, one uh, one movie that I actually did see, and it's one that I'd like to, I, I would just love to discuss deeper, um, is Ghost World. I actually had to read that for, I had to read it and watch the film for a. Uh, a college course uh, on uh, on American literature with a focus on American comics and that was a, that was a, a story the 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 movie version which you know I generally dismiss movies uh, based on comics you guys know that if you've listened but I, I watched that one and uh, just found myself getting lost in it and uh, it was based in that final summer where you're 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 kind of an adult but you're you're not and you're kind of a kid, but at the same time, you're not. You're in that, and I know I overused the word nebulous. I apologize, but I'm going to do it again. You're in that nebulous interim between childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. And uh, it is such a pivotal time. And there, it's, uh, it's, it's a very, uh, I'm probably using this word wrong, but it's the only word that comes to mind. It's a very romantic time. There's like this just sense of high adventure. In your life, because there is so much potential and there is so many opportunities, um, and it's one of those things that I feel like I missed out on because I was kind of just stewing. And but I, I definitely appreciate that message, Bob. That's uh, it, it's it was a very pivotal year. Um, in either case, wherever wherever I was, wherever a normal uh, teenager would have been, it's so many changes, just so many changes. And finally, one from uh, our friend Jeremiah, who I'm trying to uh, get on the show pretty soon here. He says, I thought it might be better to say this directly, but I've been itching to hear about your move from Long Island to Arizona. You've told a lot of great personal stories, and I was hoping this one would come one day. Your personal stories are very relatable and one of the best parts of your podcast. When I left Connecticut and New York after college to live in Massachusetts permanently, I felt like a fish out of water for a long time, and that was only one state away. And uh, I'm glad. I'm glad uh, you were looking forward to this one. I, um, like I said last week or last time out, uh, this isn't a story that I generally tell because it's, because uh, you know, first of all, it makes me look pretty terrible. <laughs> it, uh, it makes me look uh, uh, pretty dopey. Um, so I really don't uh, reflect on this one very much. And, and also, it goes back to just I just don't think anybody would really get much out of it. So I I'm, I'm incredibly humbled and heartened. To uh, find that, uh, that this one had resonated with some folks And uh, I appreciate you all for, uh, for checking it out And sticking with it if you did um, Now, if you'd like to uh, get a hold of us You could do so at weirdcomicshistory@gmail.com. at gmail.com You can find us on Twitter at Cosmic t At Reggie Reggie and at Ace Comics You could uh, follow the show over at chrisandreggie.com Or all those places uh, that have noise if you'd like to check out the website that this very show is named after, you could do so at chrissoninfiniteearths.com. And if while you're there you see something you'd like to hear me talk about, let me know and I'll throw it on the list. And also, if while you're there you hear something you'd like to talk about, let me know and we'll see what we can set up. I want to thank you so, so much for hanging out and visiting. I had a really good time uh, sharing this story with you. Uh, but uh, this will be all the time I'll take up from you today. <laughs> uh, so long for now. See ya.